0: People get engaged when they see a relevance to their life. And ultimately, it's like politics. We should have a say when we want to have a say. And it's the same with energy.
1: Hello, my name is Kirsty Styles, and welcome to the 50th time you've heard me say this. Yes, it's episode 50 of the Weekly Economics Podcast, where this week I'm chatting to Mika Minio from Switch on London. That's the campaign to create a public energy company for the capital
0: out of the cold into the cold Jane sharp says basics like heat and light are something she can't always afford the 85 year old grandmother who is never going to switch pays more to boil a cattle than i do which is a national disgrace there are some really cheap deals out there um, really competitive good deals but around two-thirds of us just don't take advantage of them get up off your backside and save yourself some money don't bother sitting going oh they might cut my prices trivial Nothing. Irrelevant. Now, millions of low-income households could see their energy bills slashed following a watchdog investigation.
1: A series of measures have been proposed after an investigation into competition in the energy market. The steps would entail a price cap and a database of customers who could benefit from cheaper
0: deals. But not everyone is convinced today will bring radical change for people who need it.
1: So, hello, Mika. Welcome to the Weekly Economics Podcast. So, this week, we're talking about the economics of energy, and that's because last week, uh, the Competition and Markets Authority came out with a number of proposals that it says will cut down our energy bills. So, what did they propose?
0: So, first off, they um, they confirmed what we'd been saying all along, which was that we're all being ripped off, that we're being overcharged to a tune of around 1.7 billion every year. Not each. Not each, if only, only 1.7 only <laughs> billion. Each. No, all NG users are being overcharged 1.7 billion. Some more, some less. Um, and also, they concluded that the system is heavily biased. That the big six are doing particularly well out of it, and that it's much harder for smaller companies. Um, then they made a bunch of particular recommendations. They said that um, people on prepayment meters should have price restrictions, so it's not too much. They said that the moment, every company can only offer four tariffs. And they said that actually they could offer more than that. Those comparison websites you see advertised on the tube or on buses, that those should work better. They said Ofgem could have a bit more power. Um, but we need to remember that they were going to make much braver proposals. Like yes. last summer, it was obvious, because this has been going on for a year and a half and it's taken forever. And last summer, it was clear that they were starting to think of maybe saying, well, the big six should be broken up possibly, maybe. And then there was very intense lobbying from the big six, uh-huh. <clears throat> again and again and again, unsurprisingly. And what we see now is massively watered down proposals.
1: Okay, so as you said, the headline uh, proposal was a cap until 2020 for households that use energy prepayment meters. And um, prepayment meters are predominantly used by the poorest in our society. So isn't that a good thing?
0: Yes, it, it's, it's a step towards a good thing. But It doesn't really go to where we need to go. So prepayment meters are a problem. They effectively mean that if you're struggling to pay your bills, um, instead of forcibly switching you off, the energy company can break into your home, put in a prepayment meter, and then you switch yourself off by not being able to put enough money onto the thing. So they claim they're not switching anybody off, but in effect you are. But also they charge you more. So people who struggle to pay their bills end up paying far more than those who can pay their bills, which is obviously completely unfair. So capping that is helpful. But we should remember that prepayment bills on average are 22% higher than the the better deal you should be getting, 22% higher. Now, the cap that they've put in will reduce how much they pay by 8%. So, yes, that's good. It's going down by 8%. But that still means it's 16% higher than everybody else. That's a problem.
1: I was going to say, I'm not. Um, I'm no economist, but that doesn't sound uh, exactly equal to me. So, um, the other main proposals are focused on encouraging consumers to switch their energy suppliers to get a better deal uh, in order to encourage competition. Uh, if consumers can switch more easily, do you think that means that suppliers will compete for customers by bringing down the bills? Uh,
0: no. And I think this partly brings back to one of the fundamental issues of the CMA's. Um, whole investigation was that they really focused on trying to make competition work to make the market work. And that means that they just had a really narrow narrow framework in the first place. Also, we should remember that very few people switch. Less than 20% of people switch. Around 80% of people just don't switch. And, and the big six rely on that. They rely on people who just sit there. They rely on their inertia and keeping people on standard variable tariffs. Ultimately, we're not going to see those companies bringing cheaper prices because that would destroy their business model. To bring cheaper prices, they'd have to go without profit. They'd have to not pay themselves the massive bonuses that they do. They don't want to do that. They're going to keep relying on their uh, on the inertia. And it's Unlikely that we're going to suddenly see now lots of people switching who haven't before. To switch, you need to trust that energy company that phones you up. And most of us don't trust energy companies, especially when we get cold called. So opening that up like that so that one big massive big six company can call you up and say, oh, you're being ripped off by Centrica, but we're NPower. That's not going to make a difference.
1: Yeah, no, we're the good guys. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily work in this instance. So you don't think the Competition and Markets Authority has gone far enough uh, to really deal with the problems in the energy system. If you were working for them, what would you be proposing?
0: So what I would propose, I'd propose uh, a breakup of the big six and uh, shrink their power. But crucially, I think what we need to do is also work out what will take their place. And that's where Switch on London comes in. Switch so on London's a campaign. It's a new campaign backed by unions like Unison and PCS, by faith groups, community energy groups, environment groups, think tanks like Platform Where I Work and NEF. And we're calling for a public energy company for London. So that's how the GLA and boroughs would set up a company that is owned by the people, serves the people of London, and it provides cheaper energy, cleaner energy, and more democratic energy for us. It would cut bills Retrofit homes, invest heavily in renewables that could be in London, like solar rooftops. It could also be offshore energy, offshore wind outside London and be accountable. So be democratically accountable to us as Londoners. That, that's a solution. And that won't just come from the CMA.
1: Okay. So, I mean, uh, on the face of it, it obviously sounds, sounds very interesting. You are proposing energy nationalisation, right? Uh, and didn't the lights used to go out all over Britain when we had nationalised energy
0: in the 1970s? <laughs> so, so, first off, Nationalising energy doesn't mean that lights will go out. Lots of countries around the world have energy provided by public services. Um, even in this country, the traffic lights don't go off and they're run nationally. Like we have lots of publicly run electricity systems in this country. Um, but we're not saying that centralised institutions of the past should be created to sell us electricity. There were issues with and accountability and efficiency as well when NG was run centrally. But there's other solutions than having a privatized, profit-driven and market-driven structure. Instead of what we've currently got, we could have cities, counties, depends. I mean, it could be bigger. You could have Wales. But, but we think in London, we could have a company the size of London running our... Um, our energy, and particular, our electricity system. TfL functions quite well. We have a functioning tube network. We have buses. Similarly, the GLA and boroughs together could be running our electricity system.
1: Okay, so I guess it might sound like a nice idea to involve people in uh, running uh, their own energy supply, but... I mean, I certainly don't have uh, don't have the time of the day to do it. Do you think people really have time to do that? And, and secondly, how will it actually bring down people's
0: bills? It'll bring down the bills for a start because the company won't be trying to make a big profit. The Big Six make vast profits, just like we heard today, They're making one point seven billion off all of us every year. And by not trying to do that, and also by not paying directors vast amounts of money, um, you can immediately start. Bringing bills down. In terms of getting people involved, sure, time is relevant. We're all busy. And we wouldn't say that everybody should be involved all the time. But things should be democratic. They should be accountable. And when you have a grievance, you should be able to bring it. We can also, I mean, London would actually be a great space to experiment with online decision making. Lots of us spend time, we do online petitions. Actually, having something which isn't just a petition, but gives you power to structure how a company is working, would be really innovative. And what we see in places like Germany, where actually lots of energy is run by cities, increasing cities are taking back their grids, taking back their energy systems, is people get engaged when they see a relevance to their life. And ultimately, it's like politics. We should have a say when we want to have a say. And it's the same with energy.
1: Okay, so um, you've obviously just mentioned Germany. There is that the kind of uh, the the kind of global leader in this kind of area.
0: I mean, there's <coughs> there's things to learn from Germany, but I'd say rather than looking for one particular country, we should pick and choose what are, what's best practice, and particularly from cities. Um, so Sacramento, interestingly, in the US, has. Um, has a very much more democratic model. Chattanooga in Georgia have got an NG utility which also integrates hyperfast internet into their grid, which means they've got the fastest internet in in all of the US. Having an, having much faster internet in London would be lovely. I'm just uh, trying to work out how to spell that. So down. Chattanooga. <laughs> Google can work it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but even even right here, I mean in. Nottingham Nottingham City Council have set up Robin Hood Energy and they have started cutting bills. Bristol Council have set up Bristol Energy, which aims to provide cheaper energy and clean energy. And Our Power, which is a coalition in Scotland between housing associations and local councils, are just launching and operating all across Scotland to bring down bills, to decarbonise energy supply. The, the solutions are out there and are being set up the, the trick is to make sure that in London we, we learn from them and make something that's even better.
1: OK, but local authority budgets in the UK are already tighter than ever. Can the Greater London Authority,
0: uh, the GLA, really afford to do this? Yeah, I mean, the reality is it actually wouldn't cost them money. Setting up, they, they, they need to borrow a little bit of money to start off with. And, you know, a little bit of money could mean lots of things. But setting up a company like this, Robinhood Energy did it for one to £2 million. One to two million is a lot of money for that. But in London, you could buy, what, two houses for that, three houses for that? GLA, the GLA could find that amount of money. Um, that In fact, they can borrow it very cheaply. We they- know all about that <laughs> on
1: the weekly economics podcast.
0: <laughs> and that's actually what they could do is make money from it because they, the GLA borrows money, like you know, at a low interest rate then lends that money at a commercial interest rate, which they have to because of state aid rules, to the new company that they've just set up. And then the new company pay back that loan to the GLA at whatever the interest rate is, 6%, which the GLA got at 1%. So the GLA is making, you know, a small amount of money, not masses, but maybe enough to pay a person. And we've got the resources to set something up, which is then employing more people as well as providing cheaper, cleaner, and renewable energy. It's creating jobs right here in London.
1: Ooh, wonderful. Well, it sounds like uh, this could be the beginning of the end of the big six. Uh, and 2016, yep. <laughs> 2016 is a big year for you, for you guys. Obviously, it's um, the London mayoral election. So of course, wish you the best of luck. Yep. Thanks, Mika. Thanks. We'll be back at the same time next week. A couple of weeks ago, I asked you to leave us a review so that more people could find the podcast. Big thanks to Linda, Giles and um, RoboBot and others for taking the time out. If you've not had chance yet, please head to iTunes and leave us a cheeky five stars. Thank you.
0: The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, an independent think tank and charity that campaigns for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org.